And we're back. Welcome, welcome to Peek Happy Podcast. It's been a while. I intended to come back from hiatus last week, but adjusting back from vacation mode ended up being a little more involved than I thought, so I put off the podcast a bit. But it gave me time to think on the past couple years, which is good because we're here with our very best, like no one ever was, awards to remember the fun, the fail, and all-around uniqueness that was the Johto region. Um, for any first-time listeners, Pikapi Podcast is a show that goes through the entire Pokemon anime, one individual episode at a time, uh, but at the very end of a region, we do something a little different, a sort of awards show recap episode. Pikapi Podcast is sponsored by PokePress, who has been busy while I was taking a hiatus. Uh, they got a new video up, an interview with Eric Summerer. Um, you may have heard him on the Dice Tower podcast. But he does a lot of other things too, and in this interview talks extensively about uh, the Pokemon trading card game and his experiences with that. And he kind of has an interesting journey through the Pokemon fandom because he was a bit older when he got into it, and he loved the trading card game, loved the show, but it wasn't until much later that he got into, like, the Game Boy games, which is kind of an atypical route. I've not heard of many people for whom the video games come last in their Pokemon obsession journey. But it's a really interesting interview and a perspective on growing up with the show and experiencing yourself and then being able to pass that on to the next generation of kids. Like, that's really cool. And fun to listen to, because, you know, Eric Summerer does audiobooks and stuff, so, you know, he's he's got a voice for radio. And that's not an insult, he's, it's just he's, his voice is nice to listen to. So you should definitely check that out. You can find PokePress on YouTube or their blog page, pokepress.blogspot.com, where you can also keep abreast of all the other things they're doing. So definitely give that interview a listen if you're into the card games right after you listen to this episode, which is going to discuss the Johto region. And oh, it is good to be back. But I enjoyed my vacation too. Went home, saw the parents, all the siblings, all the siblings went home, um, and their spouses, and their children. It was like Brock's house, just full of people. And there's this beautiful sense of freedom that comes with traveling for me, traveling out of country. Because my phone won't work. It'll receive a call in Canada, but it'll be really weird about texts, and it might refuse to connect to the Wi-Fi, and it won't tell me if I have a voicemail or messages or email notifications until I get back across the border. And then it just blows up with, like, you know, days and days worth of notifications. 
It's not like I can't get on the computer there and do all my important work if I really want to, but you know, it just takes extra effort for me to connect. People can only get a hold of me when I feel like dealing with them, which is wonderful. I hit the sweet grass border and it's like, well, whatever it is, it has to wait till I get back. Nothing can touch me. And I wonder sometimes if Ash feels like that and other Pokemon trainers. Because only some of them carry poke gear or other tech to reach them when they're in the field. Cell phones exist in this world, at least by Kalos, but, you know, doesn't appear that everybody has one. I've marveled at the system of communication between the Pokemon centers, but in between visits, how do you get a hold of a trainer? The messages just wait until they check in somewhere, which means once you leave the building, go out hiking in the mountains, People can't contact you unless you want them to. It must be very freeing. Not like Ash has a ton of responsibilities out in the rest of his world, it's pretty much just his Pokemon. So maybe he doesn't care all that much, but I bet Brock appreciates it, like, finally free of my family drama, I'll check back with you guys later, if you burn the gym down, well, I don't want to know about it until Monday. <laughs> but eventually you do have to come back, and here we are, talking about Johto. And Johto was something we'd never seen before in the anime. I think the more the years go by and, you know, we hit new regions and we have all these things that we kind of expect to the point where we kind of freak out a little bit when, you know, Pikachu's not frying bikes and stuff like that, when we don't hit all the tropes, I think we get further removed from just you know, what a period of discovery and wonder Johto was, and how unusual it was. It and the bridge it pushed into Hoenn. And for me, Johto hit in high school, so I was transitioning into the young adult I would become. And I think for a lot of people who had been watching since the show began, Johto dropped at that time when we were growing out of the target age, and the show was starting to become not for us at the same time that the series itself was transitioning. Johto struggled to find its formula, its pacing, its point, and even switched up some of its core staff, because it's TV, people move on to other projects after time. Um, but Johto took this show from just being another product based on the successful games, like, you know, all the many, many manga series that were going on, and it became its own successful pillar of the franchise. Like, I would say the anime can compete with the video games. It's not just an extra advertising avenue. And this whole transition was interesting to watch, but I would hardly call it smooth. And it did seem for a while that all the worst qualities of the show were brought to the surface and its best qualities took a backseat. Like, it lost its complete and total anarchy of Kanto region. You know, back when none of this really mattered. Repercussions? What's that? Like, we're even going to be around that long. Continuity? Shh. But the show moved towards something more structured and conventional almost before it had really figured out its artistic vision. And there was all the buildup of Celebi and work towards long-form storytelling that for whatever reason, ended up becoming the path not taken, and then nothing picked up those plot threads again. So Johto was kind of weird, and being a teen in the early 2000s, I was transitioning too. I, I still loved Pokemon, but my friends stopped being able to share that with me. 
And as my siblings grew up, they gradually grew out of it too and stopped wanting to share that with me. Um, and at a time when the series was in kind of its own weird place, this was a time when Pokemon wasn't really there for me. Um, the, the show, at least. The movies came through a bit more, and I spent a lot of time watching them over and over and over. Even movie four, which had some rough spots, had some beautiful moments to escape into. And when you're a teenager, there's enough stuff going on in your life that you want an escape. But the 2000s were a weird time. Back in Kanto's region wrap-up, I waxed nostalgic about the 90s because, sorry to you young folks, but that decade we lived in was just as important to the series as the show itself. It was an experience that can't ever be duplicated, and I think it helped the show succeed and adds to its nostalgia factor. But Johto, I think, had the opposite problem. Um, in the same way, watching the show as it was actually airing was an experience, but it didn't feed the show in the same way. And I think the current events and feel of the time actually worked against the show's success. And and do keep in mind, I'm talking about the Canadian North American perspective. I can't speak much to what was going on in Japan in the early 2000s and, you know, what it felt like to be a kid then and watching Pokemon. Um, but over here... This was a time where, as young people, we were coming to realize the world was not such a great place. 9-11 happened, the school shootings and bombs were becoming a thing. A thing that wasn't, like, shocking and unfathomable that that would happen, but a scary thing we expected we would have to go through at some point. We were getting old enough to start to become aware of world politics, and world politics were starting to go a little interesting. We were starting to really talk about the environment and climate change and, you know, what the world was going to look like when we became adults. And realizing that for all our parents loved us and how much adults talked about the future, we couldn't actually trust adults to look out for our future well-being in a general whole. And the younger generation always rebels against the older one. It always has this period of adjustment from, you know, childhood and everything's great to whoa, I'm not sure I want to be part of this world, and the adults have betrayed me. But while we were all having that experience and that change, the show didn't. And there was never some rule that it had to, but it was a bit jarring to turn around to that thing that brought us joy and comfort and inspiration and find that it's for kids, and we're not. It didn't comfort and inspire or relate to us in the way it once did. And while many of us found, you know the show to kind of get its act together, and it did start speaking to us again. Not everybody felt that way, and many fans moved on to some other entertainment that met their immediate needs. So as Johto went on, a lot of fans dropped off, and a lot of those fans have never lost their love for Pokemon and how it made them feel, but usually only praised the first season, and a good chunk of them still complain very vocally about the fact that the series doesn't speak to them anymore. And, you know, by now, those who watched when it first came out are in their late 20s, early 30s. The series isn't for us anymore. And it annoys me sometimes to hear them go on without, you know, having that self-aware realization. But the more I think about it, the more I understand their point of view. A time in history and our lives when we were confused and everything was scary and 
and nuts and learning how to grow up and the show we found refuge in was kind of all over the place and speaking life lessons to five-year-olds. It wasn't a constant in our lives anymore when we definitely needed a constant. Um, human beings take their entertainment so seriously because we let it come in and touch us, even let it make us feel vulnerable sometimes. So when we feel abandoned or betrayed by it, let down, it can be hard to hang on and hope it will come back. But for many of us, Johto did have a comeback. It had a strong finish, one of the strongest in the series. I may have to rethink that a little bit as I rewatch Kalos, because, you know, nearly winning the Pokemon League by an inch and then straight into the apocalypse, like, it's hard to beat that. Um, but Johto wrapped up plot threads that were introduced in episode one. It finished character arcs and it hit some emotional feels while also setting up the world building and the Hoenn region um, in a time when the whole concept of new regions and new generations was still a bit foreign. Like, we didn't really know how that worked um, and kept that momentum going right into Hoenn. Like, there's not actually a break between the two series. So on the one hand, Johto has some of the worst the series has to offer, the dark times I sometimes call it, but it also has some of the absolute best, some of the most innovative things, some of the biggest departures from what you would expect, like Gary becoming a researcher. That's nowhere in the games. There's no precedent for it anywhere in any part of the Pokemon franchise. They're just like, you know what? This is where Gary as a human being needs to go, and... It doesn't really fit in with anything else, but we're going to do it. And Johto pulled a lot of stuff like that, stuff so impactful that generations later, not just game generations, literal generations of people, the stuff Johto established still has meaning and resonance. It's in the zeitgeist of people who weren't even alive for it, even without being referenced anymore. We all still know about it. So let's get into these awards. The first award goes to the MVP, Most Valuable Pokemon. And as I said, most valuable can mean whatever it means to you. It could be the best battler, it could be the most versatile, it could be the Pokemon who has the most use out in the field when they're not in a Pokemon battle. So in addition to our heavy battlers, we also had options like Crobat and Noctowl who were really good at finding their teammates after Team Rocket attacked. We had Misty's Corsola, who more than once ferried people across giant bodies of water. One option was Meowth, who does so much in this series and, you know, wants to be human and acts like one to the point that you kind of forget sometimes that he's one of the Pokemon. We had somebody write in that Charizard should be one of the options. But in the end, the one that took away the prizes was Bayleaf. And I have to say, Bayleaf for MVP is not the obvious choice that I would have gone with, but when you think about it, she's got everything. She is a powerhouse battler. She's got the endurance in battle that kind of puts a lot of Ash's other Pokemon to shame. Like, Bayleaf will go until she dies. But because of her Vine Whip, she also has a lot of applications when they're in the field. She can grab things, make bridges, catch people who are falling down cliffs, help scale walls, like, all sorts of of other uses. So I think that's a good choice. Like, she is a Pokemon who will succeed in any situation. So congratulations, Bayleaf, you won MVP. 
Um, our next award for the Pokemon is Most Improved. It was a long region. There were a lot of episodes. And we got to see some character arcs and, like, you know, strength increases, evolutions. Not just in Ash's team, but Brock and Misty's. And even a few characters from previous series who showed up again and we saw there had been some change going on. Which is how Mewtwo ended up as an option. But with very little deviation, people voted Charizard as the most improved Pokemon. And when I first saw that, I was a little surprised because Charizard's, you know, character arc, his improvement as a person, a lot of that happened last region. But when I thought about it, we got to see him at the beginning of Johto working with Ash and, you know, being a strong tough guy, then suddenly realizing how weak he was in comparison to how strong he could be. And then we didn't see Charizard for a while, and when he came back, there was some amazing differences. Like this, the culmination of everything Charizard had been building towards in the past two region happened in Johto. So I think Charizard would have preferred to be MVP, but he definitely deserves most improved. That was a massive character arc, a massive increase in strength. He is not the same Pokemon he was at the beginning of Johto region. But if Charizard feels any ill will over not being named MVP, I did have an award for best in battle. Because like I said, MVP, the most valuable Pokemon, may not necessarily be your best battler. And I thought we deserved to have a bit of a distinction. And while Blaziken did get some buzz as best in battle, deservedly, Blaziken won a lot of things, uh, Charizard takes the ultimate prize. Most of the votes went to Charizard, and why not? If Ash sends out Charizard in a battle, with the exception of Blaziken, he always wins. In fact, the episode where Charizard goes to the Charisific Valley kind of gets lampshaded a little, with Team Rocket being like, every time the Torp sends out that Charizard, it's a shutdown, we lose. <laughs> I think Brock and Misty say something to a similar effect. It's almost like the show's creators were joking around, like, yeah... He's too powerful for this series. We got to get him out of here. So congratulations to Charizard. Next is the best legendary Pokemon. And I think Johto has seen the most legendaries so far. Like we saw a Suicune in the movie and we're assuming is the same one in the series, but we can't prove it. We had the unknown one. We met in specific in the series. We met like a thousand of them in the movie. We met two Entei, the Illusion and the real Entei, during Entei at Your Own Risk. We had Celebi. Thanks to the Legend of Thunder special, we got Raikou, Latios, and Latias. Mewtwo showed up again, and, like, I think I might even be missing a few people. So certainly Johto has beaten out the two regions that came before it. I think if you count sheer numbers of characters, like all the unknown and all the Celebi, like, and just, you know, every time a, a legendary appeared in a frame, Johto might be able to compete with some of the later regions as well for most appearances of a legendary. And when you say best legendary, like, that's another one where it's like, that can mean whatever you want it to be. Like, you know, the strongest legendary their best appearance, like best use of a legendary, the emotional impact, best, you know, individual character. It could mean many things, but the majority of people voted 
for Latias. And that was an interesting choice, because Latias is one of the legendaries who doesn't have a huge display of power. This specific character of Latias. Like, she's not wiping out the planet with her powers or destroying cities or anything. In fact, her character is kind of a reminder that legendary Pokémon are not necessarily the most powerful, they're just of legend. They're rare. People tell stories about them. And often, they make it into those stories by doing something big and powerful and amazing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they are, and Latias gave us a bit of a different perspective on that. And to kind of watch her grow from being you know, a playful little girl to someone who now has to take up the role of Guardian of Altamar, and she and her brother, you know, having their big courageous fight at the end and all those things. That was interesting. And also, like, I think she's just really sweet and cute and fun. I love that for Latias, she doesn't have that division um, that a lot of other Pokemon, especially the legendaries, often have, like, between the human world and the Pokemon world. Like, she seems to be aware that sometimes humans pose a danger to her. But, you know, she'll take on a human shape and she'll play and make friends and integrate herself into the human world. And, you know, she's willing to see the good things about humans and the things they make and the sports they play. And, you know, I just think Latias is a lot more open-minded than basically every other legendary Pokemon we'd met up until this point. And also she gets to kiss Ash. Like, not many people get to do that. It is an exclusive club of people she belongs to. The next award went for Audience Choice, which is basically, who did we like best? We have all our favorite characters that we love to see, and then, you know, a lot of comic relief Pokemon. Maybe they don't win all the battles, but they sure make us smile. So this could have gone any way. I was kind of hoping for Arbok or Wobbuffet to take it because they have been my joy and my heart this entire season. Like, Arbok truly has not caught a break in a long time. But it went to Misty's Psyduck, a Pokemon that I don't think appears in the main series again. It might appear in Chronicles, but I'm pretty sure Misty leaves him home at the gym when she comes to visit in Hoenn, so... This is nice that we get to honor Psyduck a little bit and all the comedic joy it brought to us. Next up is Rookie of the Year. This award only goes to Pokemon caught in the Johto region. So Pikachu's not eligible, Charizard's not eligible, no Vulpix, Goldeen, Meowth, even Gary's Umbreon doesn't count. This award was fought between the Pokemon like Famphy and Bayleaf, Corsola, Totodile, Wobbuffet, Fortress, all, all the Johto team, most of which were Ashes, um, and Bayleaf won Rookie of the Year. Well done, Bayleaf. Rookie of the Year is also the MVP. And I will say, like, Ash had a really good team. Like, he caught a lot of really interesting, varied Pokemon. Um, both in personality and capabilities. Like, some he caught were, like, real powerhouses. Some were, you know, more tricky. Like, he got a real varied experience in Pokemon training through his Johto team. But Bayleaf was consistently strong throughout, like, both as a Chikorita to when she evolved. Um, in a way that, like, say, Totodile and Cyndaquil weren't. 
you know, it took Cyndaquil a while to, like, get its act together. It had the best defense, but its offense needed a lot of work. And, you know, Totodile almost had the opposite problem, and also Focus. Heracross was really tough, but also, you know, liked to eat its teammates. So, so Bayleaf, I think, wins again on just being all-around valuable and consistent and tough. She's got her weaknesses, yeah, but as a competitive Pokémon, as one of Ash's champions, she's in the top tier. And for someone who was just caught this region and has to compete for that spot with, like, Pikachu and Charizard and Bulbasaur, that's, that's pretty impressive. Next comes Most Improved for the Humans. And like many of the other awards, it's a little bit subjective, like, you know, most improved as a trainer or whatever their profession is, or most improved, you know, in terms of character and moral fiber. And while we did see improvement from pretty much everybody, like Johto finished off a lot of character arcs, the majority went to Gary Oak. And I think that's deserved. This is the region where Gary Oak got his act together and stopped being a jerk. Mostly. He had one or two relapses, but, like, he was a delight, this region. A, a fairly kind human being, sometimes even a little funny. Figured out what he wanted to do in life and had the courage to go do it, and the courage to make up with Ash. After years of, like, clinging to the superiority thing. Like, I've talked a lot about Gary. I love his character so much. So much work was put into that. He is definitely the most improved on all parts of his life. Coming to a more fun award, uh, the Best Dressed, uh, also known as Dramatic Achievement Award. There were so many costumes in this region. So much crazy. We had James in a tutu and Team Rocket impersonating everything under the sun. Duplica came back. We had Lance and his cape and, and, you know, that Vincent Jackson kid, like, trying to follow in his footsteps. We had the PMC, who were basically a poor man's Team Rocket. There were so many displays of over-the-top and excess and, like, just general fabulousness that I felt we needed to acknowledge it. And in the end, Lance got a little bit of love, but the majority of votes went to Jesse. Because Jesse had all the best of Team Rocket's costume and the attitude. Everything was drama for her. So congratulations. I'm sure she's very proud to accept it. And were she here, would give us a very long speech about it. After that, uh, for the humans, came most likely to succeed. And this one, very interesting, was unanimous for Gary. I was a little surprised it didn't go to Professor Oak because he is one person we met as a child in Johto who we know went on to succeed. <laughs> but I'm really happy that it went to Gary. Like, we do kind of assume that Ash is going to eventually succeed at his goal of being the greatest Pokemon master like no one ever was. We definitely do see him succeeding and continuously improving. But I do think Gary, now that he's figured out what he wants to do in life, is going to have a nice, impressive little career ahead of him. And I think we've learned by now, anything Gary Oak wants to do tends to get done. So congratulations, Gary. We wish you luck in all your hopes and dreams. The next award is most likely to blow something up. 
and we had many candidates. We had Togepi with Metronome. We had Fortress, whose, you know, primary attack is Explosion, and it likes to use it as a way to say hello sometimes. We had Mewtwo, who has proven numerous times to have no problem blowing things up. We had Ash, who once blew up a Pokemon Center, um, and is very likely to blow things up by accident, but probably won't be that apologetic about it, really. And his cohort, Pikachu, who is also to blame for that Pokemon Center incident, and rather relishes blowing things up sometimes. Team Rocket's entire roster. Um, and then Chuck, the gym leader who, much to the dismay of his wife, is probably pretty likely to blow things up. In the end, the award went to Pikachu. Because while blowing things up is most of what Fortress does, Pikachu did manage to set off an explosion almost every episode. So now we know who you want to avoid. Our next award is for Best Gym Battle. And there were a lot of good gym battles. Um, we had some love for Cyanwood City and Chuck, but... The majority went to Blackthorn City with Claire. And that was a pretty darn good gym battle. That's the one Charizard came back for. I believe that's the one where we had flaming seismic rage dragon toss and, and attacking the field and all sorts of fun things. And it's really interesting that there was, you know, a pretty strong majority for Claire on best gym battle. There is a four-way tie for best gym leader. Like, there was no leading consensus. You guys loved all the gym leaders. Except for Faulkner and Bugsy. Those two did not get a lot of love. But, like, the four leads are Whitney, Price, Claire, and a few write-ins for Dorian at the Coastline City unofficial gym. And not one of them inches ahead of the other. So I guess they'll have to share. I love that Dorian got a little bit of recognition. And, you know, Claire is one of my favorites in Johto. I think this is interesting because, like, Johto's gym battles did not start off super great. Like, Faulkner and Bugsy weren't bad, but, like, you know, they were just kind of whatever. And I think that's why they didn't get any votes. But, like, Whitney started to have a lot more character to both her and her gym. And it, it helped that Ash lost the first, you know, attempt. And then you got, like, Morty and Chuck and Jasmine. You know, we started having stronger battles and stronger characters. And then by the time you got to Price and Claire, like, you know, Johto was having some really strong episodes with their gym leaders. It's just interesting. Um, next come Best Movie. And yeah, Johto was the first region where we actually had more than one to choose from so we could have this award. And it looks like there was some pretty strong love for Movie 3. Pokemon Forever didn't get any votes, so I'm, I'm sorry for all you people who love the time travel. Pokemon Heroes got a little love, but yeah, Pokemon 3, in the end, took it. Which makes me happy. I know not everybody loves it quite the same way I do, but I do think that, you know, as a movie, in terms of structure and, you know, plot and acting and everything... Pokemon 3 is one of the best Pokemon movies. Like, it's just a really good movie. Like, symbolism. I suppose you can listen to that episode if you want to hear me go on about symbolism, though. So we'll move on to best episode. Um, this was a tough one. Because there were so many. Like, and there was no way I could list them all as options. So I was, you know, kind of depending on write-ins. And we got a few for 
like Johto photo finish, Chikorita's big upset, a promise is a promise, gotta catch you later, a ghost of a chance, the episode where Charizard left. Like, there were so many good episodes. The sheer number of options to choose from, I think, is why we don't get a clear winner for this one. But we did have a little bit of consensus on the best podcast episode. And that was the episode for Movie 3, Crouching Entei, Hidden Charizard. That was a fun one to do. I liked that one a lot. There was just so much to talk about it. Like I said, it's such a great movie. It's so rich with things to discuss. And that brings us to the end of the awards. Like like the show itself, it was kind of all over the place sometimes, but... You know, and we couldn't get a clear winner in some categories, but, you know, the things that were awesome were awesome. I think the memories of Johto and the impact of the things that worked will stay with us as we go into the next region. We also had a lot of fun podcast moments through Johto. Like, you know, we hit episode 250. We hit five years. I started pushing myself to create new content through the Patreon or do more interactive things like, you know, with our Pokemon Fantasy League competition, which for a first attempt at that, you know, didn't go so badly. I'd like to do more stuff like that in Hoenn, so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to learn from this and refine my process. But it was a fun couple of years. And like Johto, for me personally, a weird couple of years. There were some rough spots. There were some points where the show and my ability to get the show out did not go as smoothly as, as it could have. But there were still fun adventures to be had, and, you know, we rallied and we pulled ourselves together. And it was really a lot of fun. And, and kind of humbling, because when I started with episode one way, way back in the day, Jota region seemed so far away. And I knew I wanted to talk about movie three, but when you're looking at the schedule, it's like, wow, that's going to be like years of doing this to be able to talk about that one movie and to talk about Gary and the end of the Johto region, which I loved so much, even further. And knowing that not every episode in the Johto journey was good, <laughs> knowing that there would be some that were hard to talk about and being impatient and new to podcasting. It can be overwhelming to, you know, look that far down the road and be like, you know, are we still going to be doing this? How are we still going to be doing this? You know, I want to talk about these things now. But it's been kind of gratifying to have slowly, one episode at a time, plugged away. And then you wake up one day and it's like, oh, wow, look at, look at everything that got accomplished. Look at all the work that got done. I think it definitely parallels Ash's journey. It's like, you know, one episode at a time. And then you look back and it's like, oh, hey, we have a league trophy. We have competed in three different leagues now. We have all these Pokemon. Like, you don't see yourself growing and changing so much from the day to day. But when you keep at it and do just a little bit every day, it's amazing what you can accomplish over time if you just, you know, keep at it. So now that we've learned a life lesson, I'll take that with me because we're going into Hoenn next. And I'm so excited because... You know, Johto was that weird high school time for me, but Hoenn was college. A weird time in its own right, but the beautiful freedom and, like, knowing what you want and all those great things. And the Hoenn, Hoenn region had its act together. Whether or not you liked the Hoenn region, 
is another debate, but it definitely knew what it was, what it wanted to accomplish, and how it was going to do that. And not everything was perfect, but it started out so strong, and it had some beautiful things going on. At times, it was kind of like an acid trip, and self-aware sometimes. Like, it just crazy and sometimes captured a little bit of that anarchy that I loved about Kanto. Like not quite the same way because things did matter and they did have to play it safe sometimes, but there was like a controlled chaos of having a skeleton for their show that was finally set and like, again, an artistic vision, knowing what the series was and where it was going that meant that they could play around and just go crazy and take risks. And yeah, before Best Wishes aired, Hoenn was my favorite season. There is a joy and a whimsy to it that still holds up with the passage of time and, you know, the other seasons that have come after it that have also done really amazing things. And there's an earnestness to the Hoenn region and a depth to the characters that... We'll talk more about as we get into it, but Hoenn had some unique things that a lot of other regions don't have that allowed it to play with what was established with these characters and also some new directions for them that had never been explored before, while also bringing in completely new characters and being able to play with them. I'm really excited to talk about it, and that will be coming very soon. If you guys want to add your own thoughts and memories about Johto, you can do so by visiting our blog, pcappypodcast.blogspot.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at pcappypodcast, or you can send an email to pcappypodcast at gmail.com. If you want extra content that's not specifically about the Pokemon anime, um, I just finished an episode, the final episode of The Electric Tale of Pikachu covering the manga and that's that's a unique part of the Pokemon franchise. It is definitely polarizing, but important to talk about, I think. And some some amazing things going down in that too. Steven from Poke Press and I also talked about the movie four uh ending themes and a bit about the soundtracks. So if you want to talk Pokemon music, that's another episode worthy of your listening. You can find that at patreon.com slash professionaldork. You can support the show for a dollar a month and get extra stuff. It's a win-win. For future episodes, for future special episodes, I've gotten requests to talk about the Pokemon special, uh, Pokemon Adventures manga, as well as thoughts on the ending of XYZ or Ash's Traveling Companions, all of which sound like fabulous ideas. So the Patreon is something you'll want to keep an eye on if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to hear me deviate from, you know, the episode-by-episode recap. Uh, But most of all, thank you so much for listening. It's been a really fun ride. I, I can't believe that we're shutting down another region and starting a new one. Like, it's amazing and it doesn't feel completely real. But it's been so much fun. Thank you for listening. This has been Peek Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all!